0: Welcome to the Tax Alpha Solutions Podcast, hosted by Matt Chansey. Matt is a tax consultant, author, and certified financial planner with almost two decades helping his clients grow their net worth. On the show, Matt brings together an array of specialists to share with you their experience and success along with strategies of the 1%. Matt Chancy is with Coastal One, member FINRA SIPC. And now, here's your host, Matt Chansey. Right. So, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, This is Matt Chansey with the Tax Alpha Podcast. And today on the show, we have Aaron Norris. Uh, Aaron is the head person, the head honcho in charge over there at the Norris Group in Riverside, California. And they're a hard money lender that lends primarily in California and in Florida. And they also have gotten into, and if you're not familiar with it, the industry lingo is BFR, but that stands build for rent. So it's a new, I think uh, I think COVID has made people that want to live in a multifamily type arrangement have a little bit more space in between them and their multifamily type of arrangement. And maybe that's where that's coming from. But we'll let Aaron talk about that a little bit today. Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Well, hey, tell us a little bit about you know where did it where did it all start? How did you end up in the hard money business?
1: Um, long story. I'll try to shorten it up. Um, I started flipping houses with my dad when I was five for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I like to say. Um, I decided to take a break and go to New York after I graduated from high school to pursue the dream of Broadway and. Got to tour the world doing something I would have done for free, in between gigs because I was a gymnast and a dancer as well. I tore up my body pretty bad and I was uh, I got injured quite a bit, so I had to find uh, a non-weight job. And what I ended up doing is falling into Wall Street acquisition and merger presentation, and I really liked it. Uh, so you're putting together decks, uh, you know, eighty pages overnight with uh, attorneys and and investment bankers um, for mergers and acquisitions that includes everything from maps to to logos to lots of charts and graphs um, and I really liked it. I moved back to California in 4. My mom had stage four uh, breast cancer that metastasized and um, I kind of started to switch gears I fell into marketing and PR and my dad is well known for research uh, market timing specifically in California. Uh, in 97 he wrote the California comeback why prices would double in eight years so it's very rare to have an economic outlook that looks that far away. And then uh, I came back and started to work for the Norris Group to put together the California crash. Why foreclosure would increase 3,000% and prices would half in California. So uh, it sounds a little weird as a hard money lender. The last thing you want to do is less hard money. But we got out of Dodge and we helped investors save their shorts. We got them to, to 1031 into states like Utah, Texas, um, and Arkansas that typically do something very different than what California does with market corrections. Um, that ended up being very wise. And then we got them back in, in 09. We created hard money loan products based on timing that were eight years at the time, which was unheard of and a sub 10% rate. So if you're not familiar with hard money, not eh, they've got a bad reputation, but we only do business purpose, purpose loans. We only work with real estate investors who fix and flip buy and hold, and construct new houses. And in California, we do something called accessory dwelling units, so secondary units in the back. So, yeah, we're known for market timing. We do lots of research. Uh, Something very unique in the training that we have is combining the concept of market timing so you're always focused on the right strategy to find deals because – your cheese gets moved in California. It's a wild ride here and every state is different. So um, we've decided uh, to expand into Florida. Um, we started, we've been doing build to rent out there for a really long time. But when we're looking at, uh, we got investors into the California market and rentals in 09. Um, in some cases, the prices have 10 x So they were buying um, three bedrooms, two bathrooms for Uh, 30 to 50 grand that have now turned into three to 500 grand. And we're being able to 1031 exchange those into nice brand new homes with very different clientele in a landlord friendly state. As you may or may not be aware, California is not a landlord friendly state. um, And they're not the only one. I know Tampa is having a lot of conversation about affordable housing. It's a little scary, but anyway, let's start there and uh, see if you have questions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot of good stuff.
0: I mean, you know, Did I think that I was gonna hear the words market timing from a hard money lender? I would have to tell you no. So I wanna go back and I wanna know a little bit about that. So why, what year was it that your dad said that there would have been the event and what led him to believe that? And then what was the information that you were seeing in 08 and 09, or, or when you led that prices were going to crash, right? What did you see to follow out on that thesis? And then obviously you're getting people back in. So what's the, I think in the industry, they call it the canary in the coal mine. Yeah.
1: <laughs> He's got different charts that he likes to look at depending on where we're at in the cycle. So he has like five Comps or proofs that he looks and really watches on a regular basis. In '97, when he wrote the California Comeback, he was using data from the Cal Poly Pomona Real Estate Research Council, who has a really a bunch of really interesting data from inflation data. They broke down buildings into different buildable parts and to watch inflation, drywall, wages, you name it. Every piece of construction they did. Um, but he was most interested in the concept of affordability. He really got caught in the 90s holding inventory, and he went back in all the papers, and nobody called a downturn. He didn't understand why prices did what they did, and at the time, he was building a bunch of custom homes, and his favorite story is, you know, I bought you know, on Palm Springs, I had these eight custom houses, I had bit the, built them all, and I built an oversized golf cart to drag people around, and nobody ever got on that cart. Um, his partner got scared and left the country and he was stuck with over $20,000 worth of payments and he made them all and he ended up be, having to get very creative doing trades, but he was just like, why didn't I see this coming? Who did? And nobody did. So he made it a goal to really study the market, understand why California behaved how it had did. Um, in 2006, what made him uncomfortable was affordability and the it actually ended later than he thought because you breathe, you know, if you breathe, you can get a $500,000 loan as a landscape engineer. Apparently that was unsustainable. And uh, he just thought that this is ridiculous. Foreclosures are going to explode and this is no longer safe. It's not safe to do loans and it's not safe for, we do a lot of education. We have a 30-year customer life cycle. We educate people on how to invest the ways, the different strategies based on your personality, based on we're, we're nerds. Uh, we based all this research, hopefully to make you danger, dangerous enough to where you borrow hard money from us. And hopefully you're so successful in your real estate investment career that eventually you lend your money through us. We're one of the few hard money lenders that still do one-to-one whole note investing on the trustee side. So it's very unique. I know Florida is a mortgage I, I... state.
0: I thought you were going to say, hopefully you're so successful, you pay that money back.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We don't have a foreclosure rate to speak of. We don't have a foreclosure department. And that's another philosophy that we've had. I I know some companies are like, hey, if you don't have, you know, one to 5% foreclosure rate, you're just not being aggressive enough. Um, It's different when you have a fund, you can hide a little bit better. But when you're looking across from somebody who's trusted trusted you with their IRA money, I'm sorry, you're about to lose your shorts. It's it's not fun. It's not a conversation that's fun to have. So no, we don't have a foreclosure rate. We do asset-based lending, but it is based on sound uh, business decisions <laughs> and good projects for sure.
0: Nice. Nice. Very good. Okay. So 97, he's like, you know, this is going to come back. There's it's, everything is very affordable. And Mm -hmm. in 2006,
1: nothing is affordable.
0: And then, and then when was the next change?
1: Oh, nine, you know, you were building, I mean, we've been watching the data forever. And in California, when you can buy a three bedroom, two bath in the Empire for 50 grand. That's well below lot costs at some points in the market. So you're basically getting the sticks and bricks for free. It's clear that the market over-adjusted. REOs made up in some areas, 70% of the marketplace. So appraisers just were, banks were just getting hammered. Um, we knew it, it was hard at the time, but we raised the money to launch this program because regular lenders were not doing it. Investors were a bad word and they were able to pick up a lot of houses. We made a lot of people millionaires, which is really fun. Yeah. So it was clear at that time when you can buy something for well below replacement costs and where the rents cash flows from right out of the gate with a hard money loan at 9%, 9 .9 9.9% at the time. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) That's very unusual in States like California. And there were multiple areas, Sacramento, the Inland Empire, Lancaster, Palmdale, um, Fresno, Bakersfield. There was many areas where that was the case for sure.
0: Interesting. Interesting. So I've got 97, 2006, 2009, so today we're in 2022, where are we at today? You guys have a track record of success. Don't let us yeah.
1: down. You know, one of the things that people started to notice was what we were doing as a family. We were 1031 exchanging out of the state of California. So this was my first cycle. This is my first cycle as a real estate investor. I went from an actor uh, living in New York City, uh, broke, to moving back home and really getting into real estate and buying rentals starting in around 2010 but let's be honest i had dogs um i had a lot of condos unwarrantable condos my tenants were you know on the lower socioeconomic scale it's nothing that i was really excited about holding long term that wasn't the goal so i'll give you like a real example last year i sold a condo i think i i bought it for around 70 grand. It had quadrupled in price at 250. I wanted to get rid of it because it was an unwarrantable condo. If you're not familiar with that term, there's a few different ways that it can happen. Either one investor owns too many units within a complex, or you have too many investors in a complex overall. Um, in my particular case, one investor owned way too many units. And I knew as an investor, it was time to get out why lenders just couldn't get enough. So I turned that 250 grand 1031 exchange to Florida, um, where I have a brand new four bedroom, two bathroom in Southwest Florida. Now the rent in California was 1150. I had a $365 HOA. I moved out to this new house that just ended up renting last month for 2295, uh, with no HOA, uh, much better tenant, brand new inventory, um, we did not predict this this is a conservative move that we're doing in florida prices in this category of home has gone up um 40% in one year um i thought i was going to get 1715 rent in august ended up getting 2295 that's how hot florida is but those are some different data points. We really like Florida. We've been there since Hurricane Andrew. It's not something new. My father lives out in Florida now. And the investors that we're bringing out there, for the most part, it's, they're buying cash for ten thirty one exchange. It's a it's a very unique strategy. It's conservative. It's boring. Um, moving to a state like we have had quite a few investors move states. They left California because of state income tax, but also because of politics here. They're just uncomfortable with all their inventory being in one basket.
0: Sure. A little bit of a geographic diversification, a little political diversification.
1: Correct. And and you wouldn't think that would come into play, but that's a huge risk profile when, Mm -hmm. you know, during COVID, um, we saw firsthand how different states responded. For the most part, real estate investors, uh, we have a lot of things at play right now. Real estate investors, there's a lot of Wall Street in the game, iBuyers, institutional, um, and they lump us all together, which is just incorrect I pulled data. I'm a nerd. I just, uh, unfortunately I, I had to leave property radar. I'm dealing with a cancer diagnosis. So I have to follow uh, my health a little bit more these days, but I was in charge of working with media for a couple of years and um, they want to love Main Street and Wall Street together, which is a mistake. Um, iBuyers are these Wall Street, was uh, these tech backed companies that are buying houses, but they're providing liquidity to the market. They're not renovating. And to give you an example, Zillow came out in their fourth quarter newsletter and said, on average, we're spending $5,555 per home renovating. I don't know any investor that spends that little. I'm like, what does that give you? Paint and a really good vacuum job, (laughs) right? So we have to do a better job in our industry, uh, which is very discombobulated. None of us belong to any association for the most part. So I'm working on that, too. Um, working with the media, trying to educate them, electeds. I'm a huge advocate for Main Street, huge advocate. So I'm a data nerd. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. Nerd is cool these days, right? Hey, that's, that's right. And, and needed. We, we really need to be able to lead with numbers because numbers aren't emotional.
0: That's right. That's right. People get emotional about numbers sometimes, but the math is the math. It's going to do what it's going to
1: do. Exactly. So, um, before you, our investors come out to California, you don't have access to anything we're doing unless I scare the crap out of you. And it's not a joke. Like, you have to sit down with your portfolio, you have a meeting with my father, and then we we do a boot camp. We actually just got back. And this is what we go over uh, day one. It's a 200 page book, costs $2,000 to update all the data in it every time. I um, update this book. Um, it's got everything from endangered species, the global warming, crime, real estate data, demographic data, economic development, builder data. <laughs> it's really out of control, but. I want to tell them everything. If you're here, this is why you're here. This I need you to believe in the market because we're not doing a turnkey operation. Um, they're selecting what they want to build, where they want to build. We've lined up all the partners, but you know their strategy might be their strategy. They might want a carpet in their home, but that's not what we're do- doing. We're really building with retail in mind out there. Um, the second day, we're going to the builder's office, seeing all the finishes and looking at different uh, houses in construction. Houses in Florida are built very differently than those in California. So in California, we have to worry about earthquakes and Florida, it's hurricanes. And uh, we're talking about block construction, which is very new to California investors. So I have two days to really educate, uh, and make you dangerous about the area and the builds. Um, a lot of people have not, uh, invested out of state. They have not invested in new construction. Um, it's a, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot. <laughs> so it's good. It's been going well. We've been doing it. I think this is our third year. Um, it's been great. Interesting.
0: You said something that I found interesting, and this isn't going to make any sense based on how we know each other, but ironically, my stepdad was a building contractor, and so I was roofing houses when I was 14 because <laughs> I was big enough to throw plywood on top of a roof, right? Yep. And so ironically, I have a GC today and I have two construction companies. And in the past 10 years, we've done over 3000 rehabs and remodels. And we we haven't put five grand in any of them. It's been exponentially more. So yeah, yeah. whoever that iBuyer person said, we can throw five grand from lipstick on this pig and it's going to work. They don't know what they're talking about.
1: Well, the way that the media covers iBuyers too drives me bonkers. And the iBuyers are more than willing to let media cover it. This way, they they say, "Oh, we're only two percent of the market." False. Number one, they're not nationwide, so that's inappropriate. Um, second of all, in the markets that they are in, they're not buying multi-million dollar properties. They're very focused on the first-time buyer inventory. Uh, FHA limits typically in the area because that's what makes sense when they go. Uh, it, it's just easier. You got a lot more volume, a lot more um, activity to where things would sell fast. I, last year, tipped off Bloomberg News into what was really going on. So more and more, they started funneling deals to um, uh, institutional buyers. So institutional Wall Street players have raised billions of dollars to take down inventory, and they're very interested in the first-time buyer um, buy box, if you will. So uh, these are homes that millennials will not ever have access to. And it's a shame because we took a 10-year buildcation. We didn't build for 10 years after the downturn. Everybody was licking their wounds. um, And we're running through REO inventory. People weren't developing land. So now we hit a time where the elderly are staying in their home longer. We have millennials that are finally getting off their parents' couch and like, oh, I want to have kids. And that's not cute on my parents' couch. And we have Gen Z interested in houses earlier than millennials. So we've got all this activity and we're like, well, why are prices going up? Well, hello, there's demand. So you're... We've all been seeing the news stories about, oh, real estate's going to go down. This is the year. Okay. Well, they've been saying that since 2020, since beginning of COVID. The math doesn't make sense. And I'll, I'll give you an example. We just had a a house in Southwest Florida that we're flipping. We built. We thought it was going to sell for 425 when it started about a year ago. It had, I think, 11 offers, nine of which were all cash. It ended up selling for $575,000. When that kind of demand hits that market, we've really, we're learning that we've really changed the way that we see real estate. It's not just where we live, it's where we work, it's where we educate, we want more space. The National Association of Home Builders just had the International Builders Show and for the first time, we're seeing houses actually trend bigger. People want more space. Now that remote work is looking like viable long-term, we've all had to figure it out. We haven't had a choice. Companies are like, hmm, I can save money by not having as much office space. I don't care if you work from home. Great. <laughs> was like we can, uh, maybe I'll give you a tiny stipend for internet, but oh my goodness, to look at how much money we're saving. So in Florida, you've got a lot of migration. Florida is the number one migration, net migration state as well as um, immigration state. So they've got dual engines. And it's a very specific people who are coming there. When you have somebody like my dad who's... Retiring, he doesn't need a job, but he immediately becomes a consumer and not just of restaurants and things to do, but of healthcare. Um, And I forget the report that he often cites um, as we age, we go from needing like one or two healthcare providers to seven. So all of a sudden, we're, you know, Florida with the kind of uh, immigration migration that you're getting, you're getting wealthy individuals who are there for the taxes and whatnot. We're having a lot of people come from the Northeast in particular. I monitor county by county where people are coming from. And it's a, it's a lot of Northeast stuff. It's actually very little California. All of California is ending up in Texas, maybe Tennessee. We're getting New York, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Connecticut, states like that.
0: Yeah. We're going to be the richest state in the union before it's said and done.
1: You're not joking. I... I was not, we've been, we told people a couple of years ago, you know what? Yes, this is an equity play. We believe in Florida long-term, but if you're here, you should expect that. Don't expect more than 3% in rent and equity increases. Last year was just bonkers. Um, with COVID really cementing the idea behind build to rent, you're looking at a state that has so many coasts, so many beaches. If you're into lifestyle living and good weather and no income taxes, it's the state to go to, you know, it, it's not a dry heat like California, but it's a beach. <laughs> yeah. I'm Irish. I burn. So I'm not, I'm not moving to Florida anytime soon. I say, but um uh, uh, It's interesting. And where we're building in particular has really rich history is between two very uh, populous areas, a lot of economic development. It's on, um, I'm that economic development guy. I love researching what's happening. I look at transportation. What are they talking about bringing to the area? What kind of airport does it have? We really believe in the area. We think it's, it's, this area is having its moment for sure.
0: Sure. Nice. So I would say that, um, A lot of people out there that are less informed think that, hey, why this feels like the last time we had a real estate crash. Prices have Mm -hmm. spiked like crazy. It's going parabolic. But I just heard you say that this time is different. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't disagree with you. But from your perspective and your lens, why is this time different?
1: I'll, I'll tell you the things that everybody's saying. I already talked about the demographics of real estate. We've not built in 10 years. But I want you to also think about the loans that we were doing in 05 and 06. Number one, the interest rate was what, 7 to 8%. We're now at lifetime lows. Um, if you've gotten spoiled, smack, your mouth, smack yourself, look yourself in the mirror and go, you're being ridiculous. <laughs> it's really interesting. Um, I'm a licensed broker. I have my NMLS. Uh, we constantly take training, and people aren't able to get a loan just because you're breathing. Um, there, you have to get qualified or, you know, you could be at risk of paying off the loan if, if it goes in default. So the days on market are too, really low. Um, but here's the thing that I don't have enough people talking about. Think about the playbook that we created during the crash. Houses can drop in price by 50% and somehow we managed to keep people in their home. Do you think, I don't care what party you're affiliated with, do you think that the government during a pandemic and during a potential war, that they're going to allow a huge wave of foreclosures? I just think that we've got the playbook of of 2008 and that the government is going to force um, banks to look at mitigation instead. So we can lengthen the term, we can um, cut interest rates, we can do silent seconds, but At the end of the day, people who are going in foreclosure, and this is another news headline that's coming up a lot lately, oh, foreclosures quadruple. Okay, well, that's foreclosures that should have taken place back when moratoriums got put in place. They should have been foreclosed on. And just last year alone, nationwide, we went up 18% in equity. you're losing your house right now there's probably a good reason for it and it's you can't afford it anymore maybe you lost your job dealing with death disease divorce the three b's i don't know but there's a reason foreclosure is always going to happen it's just you know i just don't i think it's going to slow down um i just uh i don't expect that we're going to have a huge crash can prices soften yes but guess what you can have very different reactions from county to county where i live in california the coasts have gotten nuts, but because of COVID, you've got coastal um, living moving inland because they can actually afford more space. So our county can have a very different experience than those along LA County. Do you know it took me four hours to get to LA to home oh, on Friday, last Friday. It was so <laughs> sad. <laughs> How many miles? It's about 55, 60 miles. So okay. a, with no traffic, it's, a, it's an hour drive. But uh, yeah. That was the worst it's ever been. (laughs) Well, I go back and forth between Tampa and Orlando a lot, right?
0: Oh, that's not a fun drive either. City center to city center, it's 88 miles. You used to could do it in an hour. So 80 miles an hour, one hour, downtown to downtown. Today, if you don't book it for at least two to maybe two and a half and about within the past month I had the longest time it took me three and a half hours to get oh, to Orlando in
1: the day. and you have to leave at 11 o'clock in the afternoon <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, yeah. I, most times I, I will leave at like uh, 10 or 11 o'clock at night and Yeah, I'll drive over and then I'll stay the night or whatever. And then, yeah, commute back the same way. So hoping that they build a rail back and forth between the two, which- They're, t- they're talking about it. T- they've line, been right? talking about it for a long time. They've been talking about it for a long time. Just start uh, doing it and
1: stop talking. Yeah. Stop talking, start building. You got the money. Look at what the real estate, the taxes that they, I mean, they were talking about lowering property taxes um, in the areas that we're building, not by much. But they're talking about lowering it because they're raking in a lot more money than they, than they expected sure sure
0: so let me ask you this question I mean look I love the information that
1: you're providing way more than just a
0: hard money lender for sure I mean mm-hmm. an education thing we've got investment opportunities you're trying to make a more sophisticated investor out of the whole deal or borrower not just say hey here's the money it qualifies right which mm-hmm. is which I believe look you know I had somebody say something to me on the phone earlier today and the guy's like hey um, you know you can go ahead and sell me if you want I said I don't sell you anything I'm gonna educate you about what your options are and you're yep. gonna pick what's right for you. And I could care less either way. You know, you've, yep. you've got to feel comfortable with this, you know? So, yeah. So now I love the education-based approach. I love the broader market knowledge that you possess. I agree with you that real estate, um, I will tell, I tell many people that real estate, you only should look at it in about a five-mile radius because that's where the supply and demand economics really matter is in, because that's what we live. We live in that little five-mile radius, our schools, our restaurants, the grocery stores, the gyms, the stuff that we go to, it's it's usually within about a five-mile radius, so I love all that stuff, but how do people find you in the first place to know that you guys are providing this level of education, this level of content, this level of opportunity?
1: We speak a lot. My my dad and I, uh, My dad speaks more on economics. I speak more on legislation and technology. I've written, I wrote for Forbes for a few years um, where technology and real estate meet. So you'd be just as likely to catch me at the consumer electronics show and the international builder show as you would like a real estate investor i'm that guy i helped my father do research i standardized things the we brought a lot of wall street to main street it was my goal to really bring that level of professionalism when i first showed up in the industry it wasn't unusual to get you know the kinko's black and white it it's not, it wasn't bad information it was just the quality of the education materials did not you know it makes me laugh people in this industry you think are homeless and you're sitting next to a multimillionaire it's uh my one of my favorite events to attend out here is the apartment owners association there'll be 600 people that will show up to watch my dad speak and that room is probably worth billions and half of them look rough <laughs> you would never know and they brag about things like driving the same truck with 500,000 miles on it it's just a really different mindset but I wanted them to take pride in our industry, um, so that's what we brought. We really brought the research angle. Um, it's very different. Everybody else's, you know, unfortunately, our industry has a lot of bad reputation. You've got the HGTV, Discovery Channels of the world that license their name out to these guru companies that market like learn how to flip. You know, run to the back of the room, open a credit card, and pay for your boot camp, which is five grand. Um, the worst I've ever heard is seventy-five thousand dollars for a coaching program. Yeah, it's rough. I think the worst experience I ever had was an elderly lady. I could tell she was elderly on the phone. And I think it was in 2014. Her name was Herneithia. I'll never forget her. Um, she had just been taken by a guru and she wanted to call about a hard money loan. And I'm like, uh, okay, well, what are you looking to do? Well, I'm looking to build. And I'm like, ma'am, I'm going to be really direct with you. This is not appropriate for your age group. This is really risky in this market. You have zero experience. Why are you doing this? And then she told me what she had spent and she was afraid to tell her kids. I'm all, you get your son on the phone. You tell them what you did and go get your money back. This is like, it was very close to elder abuse, in my opinion. Oh, yes. um, just really inappropriate. There's yeah, it's just that kind of project. If she would have called about flipping, I would have been fine. I have plenty of, um, of folks in their 80s and 90s who are still flipping and investing and they just they're hooked. But I could tell this is not going to go well. And she was just embarrassed to Mike. Don't be embarrassed. It happens to us all. But get your money back. <laughs>
0: I was mad. <laughs> that whole guru thing, and I d- didn't mean to over talk, that guru thing is just, it's disgusting. You know, the, it's, it, the proliferation of the guru groups that are out there. I actually, it was raining about a year ago. And one of my neighbors, is it like a fix and flipper type deal? And he's like, hey, you want to go to this little conference with me? It's a Saturday morning. It's raining. I got nothing to do. I'm like, yeah, I'll go. I'll sit in with you. We'll see how it is. And, you know, it was the most... Disgusting, aggressive tactics to a room full of people that have very low probability of ever executing on any of this stuff. And it was a massive check that they were asking. And these people were literally saying, you know, take the money out of your 401k, be damned, because that's never going to get you a retirement. This will. If you've got life insurance policies, you should cash them in. If you've got equity in your home, you should refinance it out. This is the way to the promised land. And I'm like, this, you can't say this to people. This is illegal.
1: Like, you know, and just it's terrible. We want to be the opposite of that. And there's a, I'm very lucky. We have such an incredible investor community out in California. There's the guru angled clubs and there's just, just scrappy mom and pops, like let's get together. Let's learn. Um, we have a great system. Unfortunately, the people are more attracted to the shiny object syndrome, the TV personality, and you show up. If you have not attended one of these gurus, you have to. If you have any training in marketing and PR, it's brilliant it's so well done the testimonials the salesperson in the front making you feel bad about yourself like don't you want more for your kids you know it's just it's it's brilliant from a sales perspective but I hate it it, it makes you feel dirty and slimy and it's exactly what you don't want to be there's other education that's not as expensive out there um, the Dyke just of the world, the um, John Schaub, uh, Peter Fortunato, you know, these, these guys that are aging that aren't going to be around much longer, but that are just... Brilliant. And who teach strategies like leveraging your IRA. Like I have a Roth IRA. I have a rental in my Roth. Um, we're one of the few hard money lenders that actually provide leverage inside your Roth. But guess what that means? Even if you take out leverage, it's taxed differently. Then you have to start talking about 1031 exchanges in your Roth. I mean, we're dealing with very sophisticated people um, and you can get there. The biggest mistake I see that wannabe real estate investors make is showing up to clubs and not thinking that they can bring themselves to the party. So I'll give you an example. Like if you're a introvert and w- there's no REOs right now, there are no short sales to talk about. You're going to have to find off-market deals, uh, hoarder houses, adding square footage. You know, it's about value creation right now. But if, it, if you were an introvert and I started pitching the idea of door knocking, you would hate me. You're like, oh my gosh, I can't see myself doing that. You'll never pull the trigger. I ran into the same problem. I'm I'm an extrovert, but that's not the life I wanted. I wanted to give back. I was part of the nonprofit community. I got my certified specialist in planned giving. I had other things I wanted to do. And I thought I had to be like my father, like this master flipper. Turns out I read a John Schott book and I became a landlord and I I freaking love it. It's the best. This is who I am. I just didn't really think about bringing myself to the party and finding a place in it. So one of the things I, I do for California newbie investors and experiences, it's called the investor roadmap, where you tell me what your financial position, your experience, how much time you have, and um, there's a fourth question I can't think about. I don't do it as much these days, but... If you tell me those, uh, answer the four questions. Oh, did I say financial position? I think I did. And you honestly tell me the four questions. Oh, your personality type, introvert or extrovert. And then you tell me your background. I'll find strategies for you. There's over 24 different ways to buy and sell real estate. Uh, it's just about something that when you wake up in the morning, you're excited about. Otherwise, you show up to these clubs and they're like, it, it becomes a distraction. You're learning new strategies and things every week. And you're like, oh, maybe I'll do that. Oh, I can do that too. No, you can't. <laughs> I invest all in Southern California. Do you, can you be an expert in all of Southern California? No. (laughs) So (laughs) it's about finding a strategy and a location and backing into who you are Um, and backing up with the data. That's what I, uh, Property Radar is is a subscription tool that investors, not just investors use, mortgage professionals, realtors, and even service providers. Um, It's got public records, uh, demographic data to where I can reach uh, landlords who have owned for 25 years that are over the age of 65 that like cats. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, as, and as Main Street, we have to get that sophisticated. And Property Railroad had this really great analogy chocolate is you, peanut butter is the data. When the two come together, it creates the Reese's peanut butter cup. And that's when Which it's really awesome. magic. Which, yeah. is awesome. <laughs> Which is awesome. Which is awesome. So I've, I've enjoyed, I, I'm, I'm going to miss Property Radar. I still teach nationwide um, at different RIAs, that, that concept. Um, I love dropping into a market and using data. I'm like, I've never been here before, but let me show you how I would approach the market. And I'll tell you what your competition is doing. I'll tell you what Wall Street's doing. And you're going to decide, bringing you to the table, what you should be doing based on that activity. You don't need to recreate the wheel. And it's so rewarding. It's fun.
0: It was an interesting perspective you brought up. You said, look, if I know a little bit about you and how you're wired, there's 24 different ways to make money in real estate. And we can find a way that is absolutely congruent with who you are as a person, and how you want to execute as a strategy. I say to people all the time, you know, have you ever heard the expression, there's more than one way to skin a cat? Right, yep. Yep. we just got to find the way that works in skinning this cat for you, right? Exactly. And everybody skins it in a different way. So I say something like that almost every single day. I said, <laughs> "In this way that I'm talking about might not be your way, but there is a way. There is a way that will fit with with your core values, with yep. your with your unique skill set, with the ability that you have, you know, with the unique knowledge that you possess. We just got to find the way that that works for you, so that you can monetize.
1: And don't feel bad about it. Sometimes uh, very experienced investors really. Really get sidetracked you know it, it became harder when wall street really turned on their activity here in california and i had one investor who was experienced he had borrowed hard money he was a flipper and he was just like oh my god like my cheese has moved I, I don't know what to do and so we went through the roadmap together and you know with personality type and whatnot i'm like well what do you do he's like i'm in insurance i'm like well i never had this conversation before but how do you feel about repairing burnouts do you get um mold leads Do you get any leads that you can get from the insurance? He's like, oh, my God, I never thought about that. I'm like, you're welcome. (laughs) So it was very unique just because of what he did, leveraging his job into something that only he would able to build the network that would send him those leads. I couldn't have that conversation with anybody else. So that's what I'm always looking for is just how can we use what you have to get what you need to get what you want?
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And I think everybody has their own um, their own little u- uniqueness about it and they've got to figure out what that positioning in the market is. And maybe the education that they went to didn't bring that out because most times when you're in those education or specifically those guru type opportunities, it's here's the way to do it. Here's the way to do it. We've done it. We're amazing. We're successful and we're great at it. They're not trying to say, look, Money can be made in real estate. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. Here's your unique abilities. How do we get you from A to B, right? Yeah. And that takes more of a customized approach. It's hard to sell a whole room full of people, a $40,000 package, building a customized pathway for them to get to A to B, right?
1: Yeah. When I when I first came on board, the, the California crash, by the way, that big report that my dad and I put together was 400 pages. It was not a small document. And the the premise was basically, here's the data Here's why we're doing what we're doing. You can follow us or not, but here's all the data. If you can come up with something else, have at it. We then proceeded to to transfer dad's knowledge. He had been in the flipping business since 1980, and he wrote a series of books. We re- sort of did it, 1,200 pages, five different courses. It took nine days and when it was book format on CDs, we had to charge a lot. It was like two grand for everything that we put together. And now it's three fifty via subscription. And then we do economic updates every quarter um, to where people can ask questions and do that. So the it's completely changed, and the ability to add chapters when needed. It, it's fun. Uh, technology has really changed the game. Um, so if you're still listening, you know, going to guru seminars and getting CDs and uh, cassette tapes, you're doing it wrong.
0: There's plenty of other information out there that you can gain access to yeah. um, to be able to learn how to do this kind of stuff.
1: And at the end of the day, we were just really want a hard money loan. So I've been podcasting since before, way before it was cool. So 07, we've been podcasting straight since 2007 didn't even know they had podcasts back in 07. Barely. That's the thing. Uh, but we have economists. It's a little different what we do. We we do definitely miss investors that are doing the business, but we focus on legislators who are making legislatives that would impact um, real estate investors, realtors, and mortgage professionals. We'll cover different strategies and talk to uh, to people if things are dangerous. So it's fun to be that trusted voice of reason in our in our sphere. It's really fun. It's very unique. So dad's out there speaking about economics and motivating people to pull the trigger. I'm more looking for opportunities and legislation and how technology is changing our business and demographics data and really how to find off market deals. How do you really understand who you are and then apply the data to find what what it is that you want to do? So I think property radar has something like 250 criteria. It's easy to get lost in data and you might not even know what data exists. Uh, a lot of people like demographics, what does that mean? If you've never taken a, a course in marketing, you might not know. But all of a sudden, when you can base your marketing and tailor it only to people of a certain age or what they like or certain income brackets, instead of buying a list that's you know huge, you can really tailor your marketing and your visuals to be more impactful and talk to the same amount of a smaller amount of people more often. So follow-up is really, really important.
0: So, past couple of years have been pretty uh, random, pretty strange, right? I mean, global mm-hmm. pandemic in the past couple of years—not something that happens all the time, right? So, yeah. how have those uh, how have those events uh, impacted the business, and specifically in any type of negative ways? Any maybe your investors or any specific stories?
1: We had um, in the hard money space that impacted us because in uh, and people might not know this. This is really uncomfortable, actually. Um, Wall Street started getting into the hard money space. And I have an email from one of our Wall Street competitors. I happen to know them because I belong to a state organization that I speak at it on occasion. And I'm all, hey, you're using our actual name in your click ads for Google. That's against our guidelines. And I basically got an email back to him. We'll do whatever we have to do to, to take your business. When the pandemic hit, it was clear who was not wearing any clothes. (laughs) Uh, I got a call, uh, a $250 million portfolio of hard money loans, first trustee. So in first position at 70% of market value, um, and they were all performing. The problem was that the originated flip loans at a 7% rate. That's not appropriate. That's not appropriate risk. Uh, He had put all this on a margin. So he was having a margin call and needed to sell the portfolio. It's just that kind of stuff. I've met with a few Wall Street companies that are now seeing hard money as AAA paper. Um, none have defaulted in a really long time, low default rate. So therefore, it's AAA rated worthy. That's really scary. It's There's risk. Um It's just It boggles my mind. So you've got Wall Street that are needing high returns and companies like retirement pensions that are investing in it because they need to make up for losses. That's scary to me. So it changed it because all of a sudden Main Street became a target. The game that a lot of these Wall Street uh, players play is that let's bury the small guy, get them out of the market, and then we'll raise prices. So uh, this is where we're at. We're still around. Um, luckily, we have a very diversified uh, pool and we focus on things that are very state-specific. I focus on strategies in California that are not appropriate for for Florida. It's very regulation and legislative uh, driven. So we're talking about accessory dwelling units or granny flats. We're talking about upzoning. We're talking about adding square footage Strategy you don't need to talk about where we're building in Florida right now because you guys have so much land and that's cheap. You don't you don't have to. <laughs> so just very different. The rates of hard money dropped. That um, what you can charge is dropped. It used to be a very lucrative business, but now um, you can't charge as many points, uh, or else you won't be competitive. The interest rates. Our most expensive product is a build product, and that's at ten point nine percent. Once upon a time, that was probably you know, 13 and three and a half points. And now that's two points and, you know, 10.9%. It's just really different.
0: Well, with the federal funds rate and everything just continuing to drop and drop and drop the cost of money, right? Yeah, It's getting cheaper and it just trickles down through all anything that's yield based, right? I mean, cause it all comes back to a cost of capital somewhere,
1: right? And And Wall Street makes it so shiny and so pretty. People don't read the fine print. Like, what do you own? Okay, you're in a pool. What if it goes sour? What do you go after? Oh, uh, and you read the fine print. You're like, oh, I have claims as a cash flow, but not the property. You might not have the employees to p- pursue a foreclosure. Like it's really scary. People are just not reading the fine print. Uh, we're a little old school on purpose. Talk about that a little bit because I think I heard you earlier say that you talk
0: about single assets and Wall Street talks about a pool. For, for people that don't understand, talk about the differences between a single asset and a pool because sure, I, yeah. I know, but I think that's a big differentiation <laughs> that I don't think the average person does.
1: In California, the way that we're regulated, if you want to do a, a trustee investment with us or a mortgage, if you're from, you know, in states that are mortgage. States, if you want to place your private capital and say you're an IRA, you have to be able to show that the trustee that you're funding is no more than 10% of your net worth. It doesn't mean that more than 10% can't be in a trustee, but for all intents and purposes, you are an accredited investor. If I've got a hundred thousand dollar loan, I have to have a form on file when I get audited every year, actually once a quarter, that when he looks to the file, he sees those forms and sees that you're worth 1 million. Um, If and in California, we don't have a hundred thousand dollar loans anymore, they're 500,000, which means you have to have a form on file that says you are worth 5 million, not including your primary residence. So it's a, it's a game. If you're in a pool, you can have $50,000 uh, maybe that's all the $50,000 you have in life. You can put in a fund that's mixed and you'll get away with it. The problem is that you lose control. And I think why we have such a low foreclosure rate is when a problem comes up, we're able to talk to the borrower and the trustee investor and say, what do you want to do? This is what's happened with the borrower. They're facing a rough time. And this happened in COVID. We had a few people who had some problems, but it was so isolated, we could fix it. Where if it's in a fund, you might not know. The company's making decisions for you and you don't know until it's too late. So there was a lot of hard money lenders that went out of business um, during the downturn because they kept on lending. It was very profitable. And, you know, everybody was just thinking it could do no wrong. Not always the case. So... This way, it gives you a little bit more control. Um, you understand the exit strategy. If something goes wrong, worst comes to worst, you could end up with the property. We could do it and lieu and you can hold it as a rental. I've learned to be very conservative growing up in, in my family. That's for sure. I'm not as aggressive as some others out there. And I love technology. I teach technology, but mm, <laughs> I read the fine print.
0: Understood. I think a blind pool is a little bit analogous to a blind date. It might work out, but uh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <I'm> stealing it.
0: <laughs> no problem. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, so, hey, we heard about some of the bad stuff. So let's talk about some of the opportunities that have come out of the past couple of years and where mm. we are right now, things that we can lean into.
1: Well, it's a mixed bag. Um, like right now, we have some. Uh, you might not have heard this. In California, they're discussing a twenty-five percent tax on flippers. If you flip, within actually not just uh, wait a flippers. minute, are
0: California taxing something? What, what are you talking about? What You're making
1: something? <laughs> a, AB one seven seven one. Um, it's a. It's not ill meaning. I understand why he did it, but it basically. Uh, it's a 25% tax. If you sell a property within three years, there are some exemptions if you're military or if it's your first home, but this would even hit homeowners who had to move and it was their second home you're paying. And as a countdown, so it three years before three years, it's 25%. And then it starts counting down. I think you stop paying taxes after you've held it for seven years. The problem is the data. And I've, uh, I don't know any provider that separates iBuyers from Main Street real estate investor. And here's the danger. iBuyers, Zillow just shut down their outfit, right? So we found that they lost money on every deal. This particular um, legislator out of San Diego used the script, Wall Street is outbidding Main Street. They can't get in. That's all speculative. The problem with that is iBuyers do not hold this for the most part in California. They are putting paint, carpet cleaning in it. And they're selling it almost immediately within three months to an owner occupant. He's never seen that data. And I reached out to the data provider that they use. And and I told them, and I told them two years ago, if you guys do not do this and separate this data, we're going to have a problem because it messes with your average hold times, messes with your repairs, your profits, and the total number of flips. They show up in flip data because most people who count flips are just, it's a formula. If you're a non-owner occupant who buys and sells within a six month period, it's considered a flip various versions of it, but that's what it is. And iBuyers would capture that. Here's what will blow your mind. If a wholesaler takes a hoarder house, dejunks it, sells it to an iBuyer, and they turn around and sell it pretty quickly, that house can actually show up twice. So if these legislators are having to do everything, you can't understand everything. It's our job as real estate investors to help educate. And we're the most unorganized group of individuals out there. (laughs) So unlike realtors and mortgage professionals that have their national state organizations that control their licensing, real estate investors don't. Sometimes you're an accidental landlord who's inherited from your parents and you're like, great welcome to real estate (laughs) or, you know, whether you're holding apartment buildings, I don't know. We're just all over the place. So we have to do a better job. I'm part of several groups trying to do that, but we have to get better at talking about the real numbers. We have to become uh, trusted advisors in your local market. We need to be on nonprofit boards. We need to be volunteering on um, different committees and commissions to make sure that our voices are heard and that people understand our business model. Listen, I get to see before and afters every day. And what Zillow was doing with spending $5,500 on a rehab, (laughs) if you're listening to this, I'm doing air quotes. Um, I don't know any investor does that. A minimum typically of a 10% in rehab. So in California, that would mean at least 50 grand in rehab. So, and we're taking on a lot of risks because the supply chain disruptions, wage increases. Um, When we build in Florida, it's not unusual to get a price increase every other month.
0: Sure. Yeah. There was a um, couple of things that you bring up. So there was a report this past week on 60 Minutes where they talked about the big build for rent type opportunity that's going in. And it's all this, you know, I guess you would say Wall Street money moving in and buying that that home for that new first time home buyer. And literally the CEO of the company says, hey, the American dream is still possible. You're just going to rent it, not own it. Right. He, yeah. And he shows a picture of a house and he says, you can still have a home as the American dream. You're just going to rent it from us. You're not going to buy it. Right. <laughs>
1: You know and and it's life changing. I I mean I went from a broke actor in in New York to a millionaire in a matter of a decade just by owning real estate. And I I love being a landlord. Um, I love my tenants. I'm weird. I've gotten out of the, I've taken off my property management hat and I outsourced that. I'm like, oh no, your grandma died again. That's terrible. (laughs) Um, I'm a little bit, I know my strengths. (laughs) Um, It's life-changing. And when you're in markets like California and even now in states like Florida, and I lived in New York for seven years. When your financial outcomes are really based on uh, when you have to consider inflation and what the landlord has to do to to keep up with things, it's dangerous. Uh, you're just throwing money away. And I don't want millennials to have to face a future where they don't own. Um, even with technology around the corner, like... Um, In uh, Texas, Icon is building the first uh, 3D printed homes there with a a substrate that they've created supposedly stronger than regular buildings. Um, We have a a company out here in California called Mighty Builder that's building the first 3D printed community out in Rancho Mirage, which is close to Palm Springs. Mm -hmm. Um, They're still finishing. Um, This is just the walls that are being 3D printed. Don't get me wrong. It's really cool. But guess what? In Florida, when you're building a house, um, it goes up in a day. Block goes up in a day it's pretty amazing to watch. So, Oh, okay. Well, that's already happening in, in less than 24 hours. (laughs) You still have to, I really don't know at the end of the day, it'll be interesting to see what the total costs are uh, because you still have to finish. You still have to buy the air conditioner. You still have to put on a roof and all that kind of stuff. Uh, The only thing that I am banking on is that we are lacking skilled labor. We've been talking about it for years, Uh, Berkshire Hathaway owns Clayton Homes, which is one of the largest manufacturer of uh, manufactured homes. I don't know why builders have not focused more on building inside plants, um, wall packs, um, to where you're just shipping them on site and erecting them and they're almost done. uh, Because you could use robotics. Tilt, tilt wall and other stuff like that. Correct. Right? I think that's coming. I'm more excited about that actually than 3D printing. The company Mighty Builder uh, Mighty Builder out here, I worked on a cruise ship for six months. And at the start of every cruise <laughs> on Saturday, I had to watch a video of how the cruise ship was built. It was a celebrity cruise lines uh, show. And it's very modular to where they basically created the rooms offsite and they just slide them in. And this 3D printer is doing something very similar. They have a manufacturer of just, these are small accessory dwelling units. They're only 600 square feet or less, but the bathrooms are being produced by another manufacturer who can do everything, build everything, ship it in, and they can just plug it in. I'm more excited about that model right now than 3D printed for sure.
0: I would agree with you. I think that makes a lot of sense. You control the environment where something's ultimately manufactured, and then it's just a transportation cost to get get the finished product to the site and assemble.
1: Correct. And in states like California, I can't believe that's already, they're not really promoting that. It's greener. You have less you know, dust. You have people not stealing Waste. things. Oh, yeah. Right. It's it's so much greener. And the chance to use robotics makes the product even. I I mean, I don't know how many of your listeners has, have been in a manufactured home of late. Their quality can be better than a stick built, um, depending on who builds it. It's factory controlled and hopefully they had a smooth ride to where the destination was, where it's going to be put in place. But We've come a long way. It's not the wobbly boxes of the 70s. That's for sure.
0: Manufactured housing has changed a lot for sure. Mm -hmm. That's very, very true. So it's funny. My dad, my stepdad, his brother was a shell contractor and a shell contractor puts basically under the roof. So the trades can Mm -hmm. come in. His mandate was to get 25 homes under roof in a week. Oh, so they put 25 block with a roof on, so that the trades could go in in one week. That was their mandate that they had to do. So if somebody's never seen how fast those homes can really go up in a production,
1: yeah. Once you have the slab down, yeah, the walls go up in in less than a day, and it is fascinating to watch. You just have a team there, and in Florida, you you know you've got the the mono slab down and then you have rebar that's going through the walls and everything has to be engineered for earthquake. I'm not earthquake for hurricane, but yeah, it goes up in a day and it's fascinating and happens way faster than people know. Very interesting. Very interesting. So um, look, we've been been doing this for a while.
0: It's a ton of fun. I could probably, you know, I'm kind (laughs) of, you keep calling yourself a self-proclaimed nerd. I'm a little nerdy myself. I like this stuff. So, you know, (laughs) anything else we should talk about anything else you find interesting or any, anything that we haven't brought up.
1: Um, don't save money. I'm on, on, uh, advice. I'm really lucky. I shared my story that I'm going through stage four cancer. And a year ago I was a healthy 44 year old, you know, luckily I had done all my estate planning and life insurance. Um, you need to rely on your professionals. Do your planning early. We're never promised tomorrow. And luckily all that stuff in place If something were to happen to me. My debts are paid off. Um, I'm really protecting my family. So with work with your advisors, think ahead. Don't assume that you'll be around tomorrow. And just do the work. <laughs> I promise it'll, it might be painful for a little bit, but once you do it, you'll be glad you did. <laughs> Well, you know, I just
0: met you today, but I'm sure after hearing you talk um, and the people that you've influenced in their real estate investments over their career, I'm sure you've got a a serious tribe of prayer warriors out there for
1: you. Oh, I do. It's uh, our industry is is beautiful. Um, makes me cry just thinking about it. I've been supported more than I expected beyond my wildest dreams. Uh, I never thought it like anything like this would happen, but uh, it's been very humbling. Um, I'm usually a, a giver. Um, that's how I it's my gift and it's my pleasure and it's my honor to give back to this community and to be on the receiving end. It's very special. I don't take it for granted. It's just coming full circle. You give what you get, right? I guess so.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So, or I think I said that backwards, but
1: (laughs) (laughs) that's great. Well, Hey, tell
0: everybody how to find you. And I hope I'm going to, I'm going to, that there's a way somewhere that somebody can find that roadmap thing, you know, and those four questions to figure out how they specifically can participate in the real estate space. Cause I even found that to be really interesting. So.
1: Well, you you can always go to, to um oh, geez i'm gonna have to check to see if it's still there if you you want to do it i'm glad to do um a sessions with people it's free i just do it for fun and it's nice to get the to know well, you know what? we'll
0: make sure that you get the link and we'll put it on the bottom of the podcast okay right
1: it, yeah the norris group.com is where you're gonna find me um we have a podcast that we've had since 07 so look up the norris group on your favorite um your you know where you listen to podcasts and, <laughs> and i'm there and we're on youtube as well um yeah, that's the best way to find me right now. I still speak nationally a little bit more in California these days, but you know, you can always do the roadmap yourself. It's just the goal is ask yourself these questions. Am I an introvert, an extrovert? Honestly, answer how much time you have to be in the business, what skills you bring, how much money you have to bring to the table and starting to marinate on those. Just really think of what's appropriate. And I bet you anything without much of a sounding board, you're like, oh, oh yeah, I shouldn't do that or I can do that. <laughs> that excites me. That doesn't. Sure. Yeah. I
0: totally understand. And I agree. And I thought that was a great, great, great takeaway. So, well, Aaron, I appreciate you so much. This was, this was a lot of fun. I could do, it sounds like there's so many different topics that you and I could have a conversation on and go on for hours.
1: Sounds like it. Yeah. So my pleasure. Good to be here.
0: Good stuff. Absolutely. Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, this is Matt Chancy. This was the Tax Alpha podcast, and we'll see you next time thank you for listening to another episode of Tax Alpha Solutions brought to you by Matt Chansey. We hope you enjoyed listening to this week's guests and insight. If you liked what you heard, please consider subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts.